a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. Changes in ice sheets, deep ocean temperature, they are irreversible and will continue for generations to come. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4, Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And it would be somewhat of an understatement to say that many things have happened since we took our summer break. We've got a new Prime Minister, a new monarch and a new energy policy, it seems. Not unreasonably, our man on the scene to digest, to pine, and occasionally get the hump is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist Dale Vince. Dale, morning. Yeah, morning, Ian. It has been a long time, and I think that's a great way to sum it up, actually. New new prime minister, new monarch, new energy policy. I think you yeah. nailed it there. I mean, what's not to like? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I was say, this is like, in one respect, Dale, I looked at this this morning and I thought, this is kind of like Dale's dream trio of subjects in terms of getting your teeth into this. I mean, let's start with Liz Truss, the former old Lib Dem lefty turned right wing Tory. What the hell's gone on there? Yeah. Um, what can we say, right? Liz Truss was uh, voted by 60,000 Tory party members to be our next prime minister. Right? I mean, what kind of democracy do we live in? As Putin pointed out quite validly, I think, you know, call that a democracy. They're fair play. <laughs> when Russia are going, wow, they do it like that. And you <laughs> have to kind of sit up and wonder. Uh, and of course, what's interesting about her is that she spent the best part of the summer playing to the crowd in a way that Nigel Farage would have looked at and gone, well, I wouldn't have gone that far. But that was her kind of thing, really. She was trying to ingratiate herself with the old Tory faithful. And in doing so, introduce fracking and more Brexit and more Rwanda. It couldn't have been more to the right. It makes Boris Johnson look like Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. And, you know, it's a particularly right-wing audience that she was playing to. And, you know, Rishi did a little bit of that himself. And I think they both pulled off a number of U-turns in terms of policy uh, during the campaign. Obviously, Liz pulled off the biggest U-turn of all when she got elected. Uh, Elected's wrong, isn't it? Chosen. In terms of the energy policy, that you know, during the campaign, she said no handouts, you know, very Thatcher of her. And then uh, first thing she did, oh, uh, how about a couple of hundred billion to uh, to solve this energy, well, not solve it, but just to take away the pain for a winter or two right up to the next election. I did hear, and I, who knows whether this is true, that you know that, that was a whole load of U-turns there and stand by for another load of U-turns when she reverts back to what she really thinks, which actually she's a Remainer. She's not really pro-fracking. She, or half the things that she said she would do, she won't actually do. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because during the campaign, she said she would bring back fracking where local people wanted it, right? And I thought to myself, that is such an important caveat. That means fracking will never happen because local people never want it. Right now, 
well, something's happened on the fracking front, hasn't it? She's taken away the ban. Uh, she's overriding scientific evidence around earthquakes. Uh, you know, the latest report that was sat on for the summer says that actually there's, you know, there's, there's no certainty here. There's no, yeah. there's no safety. We still have a problem with earthquakes, but she's ignoring that and saying, do you know what? You can go ahead. I haven't read anything yet in the news that mm. says local people still need to support it. It's interesting because when we've talked about this before, I've filled a switchboard on the radio with people who are in the locality, you know, Lancashire and areas such as that. Mm. And interesting, I would say nearly all Tory voters who are saying, we don't want this. This is not what we want. So it doesn't even divide down party lines as she's suggesting. These are local people who would ordinarily be conservatives who are saying, we don't want this old shit going on in our backyard (laughs) because the last time you tried it, I was jogged out of bed every night for a week. (laughs) That's right. And, you know, one of the stunning things about the decade during which Osborne and Cameron tried to force fracking on us by changing planning laws, environment laws, property laws, and with this most generous tax regime in the world they boasted of, one of the most surprising things was the kinds of people that it brought onto the streets to picket at gates and, and protest against fracking. I mean, mm. the, the opposition to fracking in our country is overwhelming. All of the opinion polls show that 70 to 80 percent of people do not want it. And for onshore wind, it's actually the other way around. Uh, but we have a complete ban on both at the moment, uh, except for fracking now, of course, because this new policy says actually it could happen. But it remains to be seen whether the devil is in the detail and local people have to support it because they definitely don't. Yeah, but that group, that 60,000, the old Tory faithful uh, that lot seemed to like it. As my old nan used to say about that lot, what a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I'm with your old nan on that one, let me tell you. <laughs> what about... The- I heard it without the bleep, okay? It, indeed. <laughs> what about the, the, the policy itself on energy? So... She comes back to the House of Commons, uh, all bells and whistles. Uh, We've solved the problem for people struggling. Um, We're going to put this price cap in. So your bill, you thought your bill might be three, four, five, seven thousand pound a year. I got quoted on my uh, gas if I wanted a protected at a fixed rate. Thank goodness I didn't do that. Um, And she's locked it in at two and a half thousand for, I think, two years. What what do you make of this? Uh, quite a lot of things, actually. Uh, firstly, it was most important that there was some intervention to take the sting out of the price rises. Ofgem was about to put the price cap by 80%, uh, which was going to make energy bills unaffordable, simply unaffordable to millions of people. So we put out a three-point plan a few weeks ago through all the media that would let us do that. Uh, for trust, which was to say fund the gap between energy bills now and energy bills in October, uh, impose a cap on North Sea gas because that's where the runaway profits are being made and the pain is being caused, and half our gas comes from there, by the way, and break the link between the price of electricity and the price of gas because that's the other half of the problem. Yeah, right. to tell but- us about that, that link. Yeah, well, it's crazy, right? Uh, Gas is super expensive globally. We allow global markets to set the price that we pay for North Sea gas. We need to stop that and put in a cap. Let's give them a 2% profit margin like energy suppliers have, and the the price of gas will collapse. But meanwhile, the high price of gas causes gas-powered electricity to be super high, but only 40% of our electricity comes from gas. But it's dragged up the price of the other 60% because that's how the market is allowed to work. So that needs market intervention to break that link. And 
Those two measures together, cap the North Sea and break the link, would take our energy bills back to October 21 to really rather normal levels. Yeah. Uh, but right now, Truss has done the first thing. She's bridged the gap. And actually, the government are looking at breaking the link. The third thing, what they're refusing to do is price cap North Sea gas. I don't understand why, except they must have friends in the oil and gas industry. Oh, and actually, it was revealed that Liz Truss had £100,000 donation to her leadership campaign from the wife of an oil industry executive so maybe so, they're so cynical though <laughs> maybe there's a link i don't know but As you know if there could ever be a link yeah. <laughs> it's crying out to be done though right <laughs> yeah, you know, just, well it is and just go over if you can what is happening elsewhere like france for example they're going to cap energy rises at 15 percent or something what, what what's going on in the rest of europe yeah, I mean, look, one of the stark statistics of um, just about a week ago, uh, my favorite one to share on media was this. In France, they've had a 3% price rise. In Germany, they've had a 30% price rise. And in Britain, we're facing a 300% price rise. That's changed now because of the government's intervention. Yeah. And the French have just come out and said, from next year, they will freeze energy prices at a 15% increase, taking away 90% of the problem for the French. Uh, they've got the lowest inflation rate in Europe uh, because of their intervention. They've forced their energy company, which is 90% public-owned anyway, mm. to sell energy at less than cost. They're being sued, by the way, by EDF, yeah, I saw that. which I find super amusing. Yeah, we That's, want our money back, basically. Sue your biggest shareholder and, and your own national government. I love that all at the same yeah. time. Um, you know, and Europe collectively are pursuing energy consumption reduction plans that are targeting a 15% reduction back over here in Blighty. Government ministers say, oh, energy efficiency is a personal choice. That's brilliant, right? Because they're proposing windfall levies, right, in the EU. And that 140 billion of windfall levies on energy companies uh, to help pay for this bill intervention that just about everybody in Europe is already doing. And over here, of course, we can't have a proper windfall lever. We can't price cap North Sea gas. We can't have a government leading an energy efficiency program. Even public information around energy efficiency, our government won't do. So there's a big old contrast between us still and the rest of Europe. But at least we've got this massive intervention. I'd say the one downside is... We have to pay for it. So for the next decade or two, we'll all be paying back this bill, which will probably total by the next election something like two hundred billion pounds. Which is, is all. A, it's a shitload of money, right? <laughs> so what would have? So obviously, Labour, the Lib Dems, and others said, you know, just a windfall tax on energy companies. I mean, you are a, a person that runs an energy company. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. So on the same day that Liz Truss announced her intervention on bills, the, the handout that's not a handout, the Treasury estimated that the oil and gas sector will make 170 billion excess profits during the energy crisis. That 170 billion sits pretty close to the likely cost of bill intervention that the government have announced. It just makes so much sense to take the money from where it's been gained improperly and put it back to where it's been taken from improperly. Could it be, and this is a strange curveball, let's move on to the other uh, big bit of news, of course, uh, that the Queen died last week. We now have a king. That king has been quite vocal on environmental issues. Now, you might say not nearly enough or that there's issues around or you don't even believe him, frankly, but he certainly <laughs> talked about it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I guess in his early days, he talked about talking to plants, didn't he, and stuff really? like that. Yeah. Um, and that got him a reputation for being a bit green and a bit quirky. But, you know, those two things aren't the same thing, right, being green and being quirky. And I'm not sure how green he really is. I've 
chatted to him a couple of times, not recently, I mean, years ago, about um, stuff, you know, renewable energy. And he, he's, he was then opposed to big wind. He said, like, he gets it, but they're just too big and he prefers the little ones, which is a pretty impractical outlook to have and right. says to me that he's not actually green. But he may have changed his view. I mean, he certainly, or those around him, have created the mood music that that's his kind of direction of travel. The problem is, of course, I mean, he got into trouble when he was Prince Charles for saying things that he's not meant to say. Now he's the king. I mean, the likelihood is going to keep shtum on this stuff. Yeah, maybe you're right. I was thinking then, as you said, that maybe he'll be really outspoken and radical and and all them kind of things, but you're right, probably not. Uh, It's a very conservative kind of uh, institution, isn't it? The monarchy and everything around it. But apparently he's breached the protocol already because uh, in terms of not getting involved in public conversation, because as we know, on Monday, there is a state funeral. Uh, The world has lost its mind and closed everything down, including hospital appointments. Can you believe it? The word from the palace is that he said, look, this is, you know, a bit overkill. We're not asking people to do this. But individuals are either so shit scared of being seen to be insensitive or companies think it's going to be really bad if we open up for, you know, the x-ray department. No, that's not bad. That's a sensible thing. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on, right? You you know, a lot of uh, kind of suppression, repression of of people's genuine feelings, right? Not everybody in this country is a fan of the monarchy. I think recent opinion polls show that just over half the people in our country are, and that's fallen by something like 10 or 11% in the last decade. So, you know, it's a kind of rapidly declining popularity for the notion of having a queen or now a king. But you wouldn't think so to look at the media, right? I mean, I don't have a telly, thank God. But uh, if I did, I think I'd be feeling pretty sick of all of the coverage of what's been going on. I mean, it's just like, it's overkill. I mean, it is overkill. It's simply that. Do you know what? Just thinking about this, though. I mean, the first thing I would do if I was king is say, uh, right, can we just lose this little rule that I'm not allowed to make opinions now? Because I'd have opinions on everything. I'd be making all those changes. I'd go, well, how, you can't stop me. I'm the king, for God's sake. Well, yes, we yeah. will build those windmills. Well, how can you say this? Because I'm the king. What? Surely, if you're the if, you, if there's one thing you can do as a king, and that that's surely make some proclamations. Well, interestingly, what we do know is that behind the scenes, the queen as was and the king as is have an awful lot of influence in laws that are made in our country. Uh, basically, they get to approve them or not, and they get to carve out for themselves their own interests if they don't like the look of them. And the best example of that was in Scotland, where a law was passed allowing cables for renewable energy across anybody's land. Uh, the Queen said, yeah, fine, anybody except mine, right? A bit One of the biggest landowners in the country. And there's that kind of thing, that the, that kind of power that the king or queen actually has in our country, which is completely against against the notion of democracy and equality and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So there is power uh, for the king. If I was king, right, or if I was advising him, my suggestion would be take no public money, right? Just declare yourself financially independent from the state. Say, look, I understand it's a time of uh, cost of living crisis, all kinds of problems in the world. I don't need your several hundred million pounds a year to run this thing because actually I'm a billionaire, It's not a problem. And I'll sort this out myself. And I think that would endear himself to the people incredibly. I think it would. Even me, even me, right? Yeah, yeah. 
then he can say, don't put the cables on my land, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I wouldn't go that game. far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just, before we move on to some questions, we've got plenty of those, Dale. Um, just another element of the Liz Truss government. Animal welfare. Now, this, of course, is an area that I know not only you feel incredibly passionately about, but you've always argued consistently that it's so interlinked with issues around the environment that it should be right up there at the top of the agenda. Liz Truss has a very different view on this, apparently. Apparently, but remember this, as we learned during the leadership campaign, Liz Truss was responsible when Britain shut down its gas storage, which is giving this us this chronic problem uh, last winter and this winter. She was also responsible for the budget cutting at the Environment Agency, which has led yeah. to the incredible pollution of our rivers and, and uh, beaches with sewage. So she's kind of got form, right, yeah. in, in, in making the wrong decisions. And yeah, apparently she doesn't really give a shit about animal welfare. The, yeah. the, term, the term itself, by the way, is some big old kind of oxymoron or a state agent speak, right? When farmers talk about animal welfare, I think, my God, would you... What are you doing? You know, it's like they're like the guards at a, at a death camp, right? <laughs> uh, and, and and the actual welfare that they're talking about, I mean, it just it's just a joke. There is no welfare in animal farming. Yeah. Uh, and animal farming is, as you were touching on, you know, one of the biggest problems that we face and we have to deal with. But when I hear farmers talking about animal welfare, I'm just like, oh, God, you know, you must be talking about CSR as an oil and gas company, right? Oh, we've got a CSR program for that. Great. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 that, isn't it? It's exactly that. Let's have some questions. Jane on Twitter. Uh, what do you make of Forest Green Rovers season so far? Is this your plan? <laughs> well, I would say it is our plan, uh, you know, to play football in League One. And uh, we weren't expecting to run away with the league, uh, but you'll know that. And I would say... I'm quite happy with what's happened so far. If you look at the fixtures we've had, yeah. uh, we've played some very top teams. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not in the drop zone as of uh, a few days ago. Which no, you're not. You had a draw, didn't you, last? So. Yeah, that's right. Against Charlton, right? But Pretty also, big, I think big. at this stage of the season, I, I'm always fascinated by tables at this stage of the season. If you yeah. look at Peterborough, I think they're about seventh in the league. And oh. the difference between Forest Green Rovers, you know, there's one win in it, basically, mm. uh, to change those positions. So yeah. it's it's too early days, right? I know it's that sounds early. like always the, the, <laughs> the excuse that's given, but it's yeah. so early. There's no way anyone can ascertain what might happen in the next three months. Yeah. And in football, it's normal to say, let's judge it after the first 10 games. And then yeah. if you don't like the look of that, you say, well, let's judge it at Christmas. <laughs> Indeed. And, and, you know, but, you know, the table doesn't lie by the time you get to round about March or April or something like that. You know, that's that's fairly realistic. But we're not even 10 games in yet. And exactly. We're two points off the middle of the table. Uh, similar to how you pointed out. Our Absolutely right. Here's right. a question from Michael. Come on, Dale. Where is this darn hovercraft? Is oh. the camper van on the road yet? So many questions for this new series. Tell me about it, right? The hovercraft. We've had some problems with it. Uh, I've got to chase it up in the next couple of days, but we've got some bugs in the software that means the motor keeps cutting out. We're on the verge. It won't be long. Uh, the, uh, the camper van, the guys tell me that any day now, the wheels will be turning. They'll be ready for wow. that that road test so we are close and um now that we're back on the air i'll be able to tell you all about it hopefully next week i have something to say fantastic and this one from viv on twitter why do you think the telegraph keeps attacking 
green energy tariffs. I don't know. I think it's all part of the kind of right wing establishment, uh, you know, who've been saying that this energy crisis is due to green levies, which is such a ridiculous thing to say, or that fracking and North Sea oil drilling can solve this crisis, which is basically a fossil fuel crisis and it can't make any difference to it at all. I mean, these people don't live in the real world. There it is. Dale, uh, fabulous first show on the new series. Loads to come. We are not going to run out of material. That's absolutely sure (laughs) in the coming weeks. Have a cracking weekend. Yeah, thank you, Ian. You too. We'll speak to you next week. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider. That way you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. Really important bit. Follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon. East off.